Uh, good morning. Uh, really glad we could be here together uh, today. My name is Doug. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I'm really excited for what we've been studying and where we're moving and uh, the things that have been happening within Renew over the last few months. Normally, summertime is the church's winter, uh, which in translation means nobody shows up. And so we have been really blessed to see uh, energy. And for some odd reason, uh, since Renew has started, there seems to be energy and people wanting to be at church during the summers. And so we just want to say we're excited about that. We want to be here, uh, maybe sometimes because the pastors don't feel like being there during the summer too. But we're psyched to be here. And we've been, um, we've been working through the book of Acts. And in three months, we have blazed through a total of two chapters. Uh, we are moving at like snail, space, uh, snail speed, but it's been really, really fruitful. Uh, we continue to hear these really great stories of people engaging the Holy Spirit in new ways and people learning to trust Him. Uh, for some of you that have been gone this summer, we're glad that you're back. We're glad that you're, with you, uh, you're here with us. We encourage you, check out chapters 1 and 2. That's not a ton to read. You'll have, you could probably do it on the way home. Uh, but that'll help catch you up to speed quickly in what it is that we're going. Now today, I'm going to attempt to actually go through two chapters in one gathering. So this might be, it might sound really scary and difficult, uh, but part of this is, is I want us to see the whole story of what God is doing. And because of that, we're not going to be able to read the entirety of the story, but um, we're going to hear the first section, and then I'm going to sum up some things, and we're going to work through it. Um, but before we jump into that, just a reminder, next week for gathering, it's a fifth Sunday, so it's different, we're going to be at the White's Road Park. We will be in the shade, and it's going to be a good time. Ben has some of the details that he's going to let us all in on uh, after we come back from the intermission. And so uh, we're really looking forward to that. And something, and one other thing before I jump into the teaching, the fall is really active. Um, we go from being not extremely active during the summer to having a ton of things. Uh, I believe this morning, as Ben and I were chatting, there was like eight actually nine different announcements or opportunities for you all to get involved in. So we had to cut it down to five. Um, and part of that is we want to encourage you all to keep checking the weekly email. Uh, if you're not signed up for it yet, make sure you guys have an opportunity to do that. It helps you all and it helps us to figure out ways in which you can be uh, growing and actively ser uh, searching out how to grow more and things to be involved in that help us throughout the week. And so, uh, so where are we? Um, as we think through the book of Acts, we have to understand that we are, um, yeah, we're two chapters into it. We talked through Jesus being ascended. Uh, he went back up into heaven. He told his disciples, I want you guys to stay and pray. Uh, don't leave until I send my Holy Spirit. And so they do that. They're hanging out in Jerusalem in a room. And I love Tim's picture from a few weeks ago. It was very, very crowded. Um, and the Holy Spirit comes on the church and the church literally explodes at the seams. The Spirit starts speaking in all these different languages. Uh, 3,000 people are saved and baptized that day. And, and um, Tim just talked uh, last week, or last gathering, about the church and what the church looked like. And he did a very amazing job at helping us understand that this idea of church wasn't something that Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples kind of figured out on the fly. 
But this is what Jesus proclaimed all throughout, all throughout the New Testament through his gospel as he was preaching. He continued to talk about what the church was going to be. It was going to be power and dynamite and there's going to be a lot of amazing things that the church is called to do. Uh, he used the word ecclesia, which is the, the gathered and sent ones. Uh, also a word that was kind of a political word that was used. And so I really appreciate it. If you didn't get a chance to, we don't have the teaching up yet because Tim is, he's had issues. For some reason, every time we give Tim the recorder, it doesn't record. And so he is gracious and goes back and re-records it. And so I'm going to hand him this after gathering. He's going to get it up on the, on the website so you all can go back and listen to that. But here's what I want to, I want to tell you. It is crucial that we understand what the church is called to and what the church is supposed to be as we move forward throughout the book of Acts, okay? This isn't just a story about neat things that guys are doing, but this is the story, this is the history of the church where the church begins. And so one thing that we have to understand is when we look at the book of Acts, Acts is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. And it's it, it would probably have been given in the same, you know, here you go, I can't fit it all in one piece of papyra or whatever. Is that right? Not papyrus, that's a fruit, isn't it? Yeah, whatever, that. And uh, so it, it was so big it couldn't be on one scroll, so they give them two scrolls. And so we have to understand that in order to understand the book of Acts, we've got to understand the gospel. And so we're going to get into some of the, some of the things about what the gospel, what the story of Jesus uh, is all about. And so that when we understand the history of the church, we have to understand that it's always rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not rooted in anything else. That is what the book of Acts is rooted in. And uh, as J.R. said a few months ago, the story of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I think that that is crucial for us to understand. As we read this, what we're asking, some, some questions. What is this showing us about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does? And what is this showing us about how the church responds and how the church acts and who the church is? Um, the, the, the very last thing, and this is part of what Tim talked about with the church is that the church has two really important pieces that we have to understand for ourselves. And the one piece is that the church is called to have very robust boundaries, which means that the church is calling people away from life, calling people out of certain things, certain patterns, certain ways of thinking and into a new life. So out of and into. And the church's job is that when, when the church receives somebody and they call them out of uh, a place or out of sin or out of some place where they're not followers, when they begin following, they become people that are ferociously fighting for their brothers and sisters. Uh, Tim made a comment that really bothered me, but it was very true, and that's that the church, what happens when we see the church form with this robust boundary is that God's family becomes more important than our own family. And that this, as Jesus said, as he was looking around his disciples, and someone said, hey, your mother and brother are here. He looked around and said, but these are my mother and my brother and my sisters. That blood becomes different. And it's not our blood that makes the most important connection, but it's the fact that Christ's blood is what makes us related and what brings us into community. And the other thing that Tim said is that it's about relational solidarity. So the church has to think about two things, robust boundaries, relational solidarity. And what that means is that this new family takes on a very different look and we learn how to stand with one another. He used the great example of talking about Daughters of Cambodia, which is uh, a global ministry that we support that rescues men and women from the sex trafficking trade and it brings them into safe places by teaching them skills, by walking with them, by spending years discipling these women, helping them grow, helping them become whole people. 
And that's what those two things look like. So this morning, we cannot forget about this, this framework. Um, and uh, I'm going to have Peter, he's going to stand up, he's going to read Acts 3, chapter 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to listen to verses 1 through 10. Acts 3, 1 through 10. One day to hear the child, going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple of the gate, beautiful. For he was put every day to bed from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John, he asked him for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth, walk. Take it by our hand. He helped him up. In an instant, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This story has shaped my life in unbelievable ways, uh, in, in, in a few different directions. Uh, we have to understand a few things just to uh, help with some context. So Peter and John are going to prayer, the ninth hour. I love how specific. Luke is really specific. He keys in on details that a lot of us just, like sharks, blaze our eyes over and don't actually see. Um, but what happens is, what what is going on is... Peter and John are still part of the worshiping community. They haven't left. They haven't abandoned um, the practices that they're doing. But God is redefining them as they're beginning to see everything through the lens of the resurrection, everything through Jesus. And so Peter and John are going to church on Sunday. And all of us know that when, you know, your ride from home to here on Sunday is probably the most holy, quiet, sacred ride you've ever had. You know, you you know, your kids are like in the back singing the hallelujah chorus and you guys are in constant state of prayer. Maybe. Uh, or it probably looks a little bit different. See, I'm blessed because I get to get to church by myself on my bicycle most days. And so I just have conversations with my... I've never experienced that as a pastor, so maybe I should at some point in time. Uh, my wife does and she can tell you that that causes issues later for us. But we have to understand, Peter and John are doing normal things. They, th- this is normal, ordinary, everyday life. This is not them sitting there thinking, what's the most radical thing we can do today? Let's go to church. I mean, this is, this is very normal life. And so the Jews, they had two times a day where they would have prayer. And it was morning, usually around uh, 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, and then around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes some people later say that there's a potential that there was a third prayer, usually around close of day. And so they're going to join with the people of God to pray. And this is normal, that we have, and we need to understand that. And we have to understand that within the context of ordinary life is when the kingdom of God radically enters into this story. 
And so one thing we have to understand about the temple is that there's these gates, different ways to get in. And the gate, the beautiful gate, I don't know, did I put a slide up there of the beautiful gate? Probably looks like a bunch of old bricks and stuff. No? Okay. Well, there's a, in the Kidron Valley, which is the valley that kind of is under, is on the bottom side of the temple, there's this big gate, and it looks like these double, it looks almost like a double gate. And it was a beautiful gate. They said that there was just amazing amount of gold and silver and bronze, and it was the biggest gate of the entire temple area. And it would be normal. We have to understand this is normal. It would be normal for uh, a blind person or a crippled person or, or one that was not able to work to sit outside or to stand outside the temple gates asking for money. And within Jewish culture, it was a very charitable thing to give money out. So we're not talking about this is really strange. This isn't, this isn't um, us walking to the train station and, and coming across a homeless man and, and, and wanting to walk to the other side. This is probably a little bit more normal fare. Uh, the community really longs to take care of one another within this context. But we also understand, too, because he's crippled, the gate is as far as he's able to get within the temple. Because he's not whole. He's not made, he's not a whole man. Uh, he's broken, and so therefore he's considered a sinner, and he has to stay outside of that place. So outside of God's grace, outside of God's presence, that's where he is situated. And so Peter and John as they're walking up, and, and understand, this is very fascinating because this is in the midst of the context that we just, that Tim talked about a couple weeks ago. And what we see happen is uh, we see this beautiful picture of community, that they're sharing everything that they have. They have money because people are selling their possession and putting it into this pig pool. And what does this guy ask for? He asks for money. And we just got done hearing that they have all this money. And Peter and John, it says they both do this thing where they gaze at the guy. And I can only imagine, like, that's kind of like one of those awkward gazes where you just stare at people. And when you're in a restaurant and that happens, especially if it's your waiter, it makes you, creeps you out a little bit or something. But they look at him, and I think what happens is we, we start to begin to see that the kingdom of God invades people. It notices the things on the outskirts. It begins to see the people that are to the peripheral vision of life. And so Peter and John, they don't just look near him. They look at him. They notice him. And we see this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit giving them something, giving them a word. Um, and what, I, uh, what, is, what is amazing about this is that Peter doesn't say, well, do you want to walk? Peter says, in Jesus' name, walk. Jesus heals you. And the dude, the dude gets up, leaping, praising God, dancing, and he runs into the temple. And it causes a ruckus. A ruckus. And so as we, as we think about this passage, and we think about the way that this healing goes down, we see that, that God, in His grace and in His mercy, sees people. That the kingdom of God shows up in the most unexpected places, sometimes on our way to church, sometimes on our way to the temple, sometimes on the way from, our, from, our, uh, from the locker room to the car, sometimes second period class. The kingdom of God is at work and invades our space. The kingdom of God is invading. Tim gave a beautiful picture talking about Ecclesia as the kingdom of God is like this battering ram knocking at the gates, knocking down the gates of hell in people's lives. And that's what we're seeing in this picture. And this is the first picture that we see within Acts where the kingdom comes in a, in a, in a healing like this. 
And so what we understand that happens next is that the people within the temple are filled with awe and wonder. It's the same, the same idea of Peter and John and James and the disciples and the followers of Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Now you have these people in the temple that are filled with awe and wonder. And there's, there's a meaning there that we'll get to that the writer is really trying to hit home. And so what happens is Peter and John, there is this amazing commotion. People are seeing this guy and it says that this guy is clinging to Peter and John. And there's all this excitement and Peter gets up and he proclaims what people are seeing. And so proclamation is a funny word that we use that means preaching. Uh, It means proclaiming something. Uh, It means that that we are speaking something out that is true. And so what I want us to do is we're going to really quick look at um, verse 11 through 25. I'm going to kind of breeze through this and give you some highlights. But what we have here in verses 11 through 25 is we have Peter's sermon. We have his proclamation. And we need to understand that right right off the bat, what we see is uh, in verse 11, it says that um, while this guy clings to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in Solomon's porch And they were astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? Think about that. Peter and John stare at this man. And now Peter and John are saying, Why are you staring at us? I don't know. It's interesting there. I'm not sure what to do with it, but it stuck out to me. One of the things that's so fascinating is what happens is Peter then begins to preach. And he says this. This is where he starts. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. So this is bar language. Luke 20, Jesus uses this same phrase, this same passage, which is taken out of Exodus 3.6, which is the passage when God himself shows up to Moses in the burning bush. And so what we begin to see is that Peter and John are using the stories of Scripture, that they're interpreting, they're beginning to interpret all of Scripture as a story about God's redeeming act through His Son, Jesus. Uh, Later, he talks about Jesus being the servant, um, the faithful servant or the suffering servant, which is is phrases borrowed from Isaiah 53. Uh, And you all who are going to be in house church, Uh, the first one in September, you're going to be able to look at Isaiah 53 and see the way that this passage talks about our King and who Jesus is. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And so Peter begins to preach and he calls people back to the Exodus and says, remember the Exodus when God rescued us from slavery? It's happening again. But the slavery is a little bit different this time. Yes, it's oppressive Rome, but actually it's our hearts. He's beginning to rescue our hearts. And as we see, as we look at the, the way the prophet Isaiah speaks to us about the suffering servant, all this stuff starts to come out. And we miss it because we're not people, unfortunately some of us aren't people that have really had a chance to read through the scriptures and really get a feel for what they're about. But we have to understand that these disciples from very early on within the church are reinterpreting all of scripture. They're seeing Jesus stuck within the margins. They're seeing Jesus plastered against the story. They're just seeing this redemptive work, this God who saves in a mighty way at work all the time. If we look at verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. 
To this we are witnesses. And listen to this phrase, because this is important. A lot of us cringe when, when we hear people say, well, you know, what does it mean to be saved? Like, how do I become a Christian? Oh, well, you pray and you believe in Jesus' name. Some of us, we've kind of got to the point where I think, or the point where our, 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 our theology may be a little bit too um, pious. And we need to cut the crap and get back to what the gospel really is. And I love this because it says it related in Romans, which I'll mention later. He says, and his name, by faith, in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and you know. And what I love about Romans 10 is it talks about how do you, you know, what does it mean to be saved? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Like I love, that's as simple as it gets. That's the good news. That Jesus is Lord, that I no longer have to be Lord, that I don't have to put my faith in all these other crappy lords that do a terrible job of being the Lord, but I can put my faith in a kind and gracious and merciful God. And so as we continue to look through this, this message that, that, that Peter is preaching, he says, And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And again, Peter and John, Peter and John, they're not saying, yeah, we did this. Look how cool this is. They're saying, guys, this isn't, this isn't us. Like you, in, in some ways, it may seem like being a little bit at a family reunion. Like you, you know us. This is Jesus. He's the one who's doing this stuff. This isn't me. This isn't how powerful I am or how amazing I am. But they're pointing this thing. They're pointing this miracle. They're peeling back the curtain and say, yeah, you're, you're looking at the miracle as this really amazing thing, but it's actually about Jesus. And so in 17, he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But, and 18, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets... That his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And here's this word, here's this phrase that we hear again coming up. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Use guys, that's what that you is there. His name is Jesus. And so we have to understand, Jesus is, is, is pushing the guilt back onto the people. Peter and John is saying, you, it's, it, you all crucified Jesus. And so they sat, these people sat under the weight of the decision as they yelled and they cried for a murderer to be released over innocent Jesus. But what Peter and John do is they don't use that guilt to be what fuels them into this place of repentance. He calls them to the kindness of who God is. And he calls us to the love of the Father and saying, yeah, but you, and I love that word, he says, but you acted in ignorance, brothers. But I'm I'm asking you to repent, to turn, to leave what you're doing, to come out of something and begin to walk into something else. And he calls us to, he calls the people to that. He calls us to this now. Peter's words aren't dead. They're alive today. They're acting. They're moving within my own heart and soul and with our hearts and souls this morning. We look at verse 21 as we move a little bit further. And this is the linchpin of, of I think, probably where people's lives were really beginning to, where the Spirit just irked people in a really amazing way. It says this. Um, whom heaven must receive until the time for the, rest, for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
See, because what Peter is doing is he's saying, you know what, guys, this is this this man jumping up and praising God and and seeing refreshing and restoration happen right in front of you. This is just the first fruits of the restoration of all things. We need to understand, my friends, like this, what we see here, this reality, this is, yes, this is part of our life. But there is something so much more that God has called us to. That this kingdom is just beginning. We are still in the beginning stages of this kingdom. And that someday, the enti- everything that God created will be restored. That God is, and, and this is a hard word, but God is judge. That's what we learn as we read through the Old Testament. That God is a judge. But He is a gracious and merciful judge. He is a judge that does judge and punish our sin. And He did that through Christ. And when we believe in His name, He forgives us and He accepts us and He calls us His own. But I am so amazed to think about the way and the implication that this must have felt to these people as they're sitting in the temple listening to Peter talk and hearing Peter say, Guys, the restoration of all things is here now and it is yet to come. And so we live as a people who are waiting for the restoration of all things. And part of that, and what we see Peter and John modeling, is that they are seeing restoration of all things happen in ordinary, daily, day-to-day life. And every opportunity that they have, they begin to see the way God is at work within the story. So as we look as we look at verses 24 or verse 24 it says and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days you are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham and this is amazing and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed God having raised up his co- his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Like my friends, uh, that is an echo of Genesis 12 when God meets with Abraham and calls Abraham out of normal, comfortable life, living in Ur as a pretty wealthy, okay dude. And he says, I want you to come follow me and I'm going to bless you so that you can in turn bless the world. This is like, this is like the echo in the very beginning of, of the scripture saying, my kingdom is coming. And it's a kingdom of blessing. And my friends, we, I think there are times we get so bogged down in, in, in looking at ordinary boring life as ordinary boring life and not, this, not these amazing opportunities for the kingdom of God to break through the place where we are and to begin to see the fruits of this restoration of things happening in the daily, everyday moments of our lives. And what I also appreciate about this is the more we look at the sermons that these guys preach, that Peter teaches, this connects us to the greater story of God. My friends, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures have so much to speak to our hearts and lives about the person of who God is and the way that this plan is unfolding. And what we see at the end of this passage in, verse, in chapter 4, the, these disciples, uh, these two guys, they get thrown in prison. Uh, but 5,000 people come to place their faith in Christ that day. And so out of this obscure moment of seeing a, a, a crippled beggar to running into the temple and to proclaiming with boldness, and understand this, my friends, not even six weeks earlier, Peter ran from Christ when someone said, Are you with Jesus? And so here he is back at a place where instead of running, he's proclaiming. 
So the, tell me about how that doesn't shape the way that we look at the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do in Peter's life? Man, it gives him like crazy courage. Insane courage. So here's the things that I, I think we, we take away from this passage this morning. Um, the first thing that I want us to look at is the fact that what we see Peter and John doing is not something new. But we see them doing the same thing that Jesus does. My, my friends, this is discipleship. Discipleship is doing what Jesus did. And so what did Jesus do? He kind of walked around and healed people. He walked around and told people about the kingdom uh, very intentionally, not, not, not to the left or the right, but he was moving in a direction for a purpose. And so what we begin to do is we see this idea of the disciples probably sitting around and be like, well, what would Jesus do today? I don't know, probably tell people, you know, that the kingdom of God's here. All right, let's go do that. So they walk to the temple, and the first person that comes along is this crippled beggar, and they heal him. This is uh, great opportunities for us to be discipled. And so here's the thing. This is, we honestly believe that discipleship is, is it. If we fail at discipleship, we fail as a church. Like, that's it. We have a couple ways that we get about it. Some house church gatherings, those are really important ways that all of you are probably aware of. Uh, we have a men's discipleship group that's starting up in a few weeks. A bunch of you have already signed up. We're excited about that. A bunch of you have already been through it. Uh, women, uh, There's a women's retreat coming up. There's also some scripture engagement opportunities for women to jump in. And here's why we think scripture is so important to discipleship. Because it was important to Jesus and because it's important to, these, to, to the disciples and to the apostles. Because what they do is they begin to interpret the scriptures... Um, a, a great theologian, Karl Barth, said, if, if, you want to do, uh, if, if you want to do good theology, if you want to do good God's work, have the scripture in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I really appreciate that statement. I think that's helpful. Because we, we want this to connect with this. And part of that is we can trust that the Holy Spirit's work. So for those of you that are looking for discipleship opportunities, there's plenty. Come see me. Um, Cindy Gerhardt, she's got a... Uh, discipleship thing happening here in a few weeks uh, you'll get to hear some of that um, Lindsay's got the uh, amazing women's thing happening on October the 3rd Bam, it's good memory uh, and there's other opportunities for us to be discipled because we believe that discipleship is important in fact we will bet the life of our church on that that's what we want to do we want to be disciples people that follow in the footsteps of Jesus that do the things that Jesus did and this is what we have to see this whole story is that Peter and John aren't these amazing guys that have all this stuff, but they're just guys that say, okay, Lord, we'll obey you. That's what you did. We're going to trust that that's what you want. And, I, like, I picture Peter being kind of skittish and maybe sweating, and, like, as he's staring at him and, like, hearing in the back of his head, like, Peter, just tell him to stand up. And he's like, that's crazy, Lord. I know. I mean, there's part, you know, and I can see, like, God, you know, the Holy Spirit in the back of his head saying, like, you know, remember holding, you know, those loaves of bread that never actually ran out? Yeah, that was crazy, too. Did I provide? Yeah. Okay. Like, I just imagine this ongoing conversation that Peter's having with the Lord in that moment. Um, the second takeaway that we have is that life in the Spirit is learning to open our eyes to the marginalized spaces and places in our day-to-day -day life. And so a few weeks ago, what we did was, was we prayed um, during our time of prayer. We, we prayed for those uh, who are immigrants. Because we realize that there are many immigrants within, within our communities that we never even notice. Uh, it's funny, uh, you, you, you are not able to notice your world around you in a car driving 35 miles an hour down a street. You can't. You can't notice it. Um, there are four or five bowling pins on top of the Greek place over here. And I noticed it for the first time and I've walked the street for many, many years. 
we have to be people. This, what the Spirit does is He begins to speak to us about the ordinary, everyday places of life for the kingdom of God to radically impact. It's like, where's Waldo, right? Uh, and I, did anyone else love this as a kid? How about as an adult? I still love this. But what I, what I appreciate is what the Spirit asks of us. This is, and this is the trick. This is what the Spirit asks, of, asks us to do. This is where, Write this down. Everybody, pull out a pen, write this down. The Spirit asks us to do one thing. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. And it takes us a long time to pay attention long enough to find Waldo. You don't just kind of like point to it, but you are so invested and involved in looking at this entire puzzle and picture that it's not until you've given it your utmost attention that you actually find this. Has anyone found him yet? Awesome, good. <laughs> I know he's down in the corner, but I don't know where he is either. Um, but we are called to be people that pay attention. Holy Spirit-led people, a Holy Spirit-led church pays attention. One of the ways that I love that we pay attention is by the way that we support manna, by the way that I hear stories. Uh, if you ever want to talk to someone who is, the, who is the queen of paying attention in our community, she's going to hate me for saying her name, but talk to Amber Phelps. She is so dang good at paying attention to what's happening in her surroundings. She is the missionary cleverly disguised as the person that does Trader Joe's, the person that is a neighbor, the person that does things. So if you ever want to, like, how do you pay attention? Talk to Amber. She will tell you. But we have to be people that learn to pay attention to what the Spirit is up to. Um, real fast story, uh, I play hockey, I ref hockey, I love hockey, it's a really fun game. And uh, just a few nights ago we had the last game of our season and I had the blessing and the beautiful opportunity to speak with, this, with one of our co-players. Uh, his girlfriend was there and we just had this amazing conversation. And about 20 minutes into this conversation, I begin to recognize this is a God moment. So it took me a little while to pay attention, but in the midst of that, to see that God is at work in those weird spaces. Not just here. This is where we come and we get charged up and we go out and we say, I'm going to look in the marginalized spaces and places this week. I'm going to pay attention at the traffic light and bless the people around me and see the way. I'm going I'm to ask the barista when I go to get my coffee in the morning how their week's going. And I'm going to intentionally begin to pray for that person. And you know what? Like, Here's the thing, too. Sometimes that'll actually cost really uncomfortable things. Like sometimes that'll call us to notice someone and to hear their story and to hear the Spirit say, I need to give this person 30 bucks because they just need to get home. Or maybe it'll call, it'll call you to say, this is a holy moment and I get the sense that this woman needs to cry or that this man just needs a hug. That's uncomfortable, right? But when the Spirit leads us, we get there. We get to do these things. We get to see the kingdom invade a moment in our own space, in our own reality, that is a continual promise of what is to come. The third thing that we understand, and I believe this is uh, crucial for us, is that the gospel sets us free and brings us back into life with God and His people. My friends, although the gate to the temple is only three foot of block away it's miles away it is miles away and the only thing that moves us past that is the good news that Jesus Christ was died, buried and resurrected so that he could forgive us clean us and I love this idea that he can blot out our sins there's this beautiful picture of a chalkboard 
And this idea of blotting is like this, this chalkboard wiped clean. That our sin, although it is so big and so, and so disgusting and so ugly, that we serve a God who's willing to come and cleanse our hearts. And I believe that there are people in here, that there are people that love Jesus and are really bogged down in sin. And like I want to encourage you that God is calling you to repent. He's calling you to come back to Him. Uh, Romans 2.4 talks about it's God's kindness that calls us to repentance. It's not the angry, wrathful God. It's the one that says, stop running. I love you. Come and experience new life and healing. And my friends, we don't do that alone. And that's what I love that Tim talked about as he talked about what the church looks like. We, we are going to yell at you if you, can, if you go run back into sin. I'm sorry. That's our job. That's what we're called to do as brothers and sisters. If, if you want to continue to play in that stuff, in that dirty sandbox, we might kick your butt. But we're going to do it in a loving way that's going to say, we are going to stand by your side until we see your life healed and transformed. Because that's what we see this gospel message all about. Lives transformed. That's why we exist, because we believe that the kingdom of God is so big and so powerful that he, he is longing to see lives transformed, beginning with us. And the way that we live that out, he is totally crazy about. And he wants to see us trust and live, that God, trust and live in a way that God is honored. So my friend, one of the things that it talks about, uh, Peter says, I want you to repent so that times of refreshing May come in. I get the sense that there are people in the room as I was praying through this passage this week as I had a chance to sit with the Lord in the mornings and, and, and look at this. I was convinced that there are people that need season of refreshing, refreshment in their life. That you've been bogged down by sin, you've been bogged down by worry, whatever that is, that this, this gospel, that this Jesus, when we invite him in, seasons of refreshing come. I chatted with a guy a few weeks ago whose life fell apart. And the moment the truth came out, uh, about 20 minutes later, the comment was made, I feel like I'm a new person. Because Jesus shows up in that moment when we're willing to say, I need you. And again, as we think about, uh, for those of you that weren't here, a few months ago, we, 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 we did a whole series on glimpses of Jesus. And the one thing that was overtly clear was that when the desperation is high, Jesus meets us. And so we need to be a people who are desperate for Jesus to restore and refresh our lives. And I also want to think that some of us may have been asking for the wrong things for years. And what Jesus has for you in your life may be completely different than what you have been asking for. And all you need is someone to proclaim that new life over you. And so we are going to have some folks up here during intermission, during prayer. I didn't ask anyone, but you all know who you are that need to be up here praying for people. And, and, and if you need God to touch your life in some way, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith to come and to be prayed for. And to have someone proclaim what Jesus says about who you are over your life. And so as we think about the gospel, it sets us free. This man went to the gate thinking that today was going to be another day and another dollar or two. And what he received was restored life and restored community and a completely restored body. And so my friends, 
That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is still at work. He's not in the grave somewhere. He's not on coffee break. He's, he's with us and present this morning. And his Holy Spirit is active, already messing with our hearts in ways that we need to be have our hearts messed with. And my friends, if repentance is what God is calling you this, to this morning, I want to encourage you to recognize that it is his kindness and his love that is drawing you into him. We are called to be people of the Spirit. We are called to be people who continue to repent. Even I've noticed the longer I'm a Christian, the more I seem to repent. The more I seem to find places in my life that God wants to clean and restore and make new. Uh, Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your love, uh, for this story. Lord, thank you for the ways that we all have stories of being crippled spiritually, physically, emotionally, and stories of of being able to stand to our feet and to praise God in the ways in which you've healed our lives and our hearts. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your kindness leading us to repentance. Lord, we thank you that you blot out our sins. Lord, we ask that as you blot out our sins that times of refreshing may come. And so, Lord, uh, we give you uh, space and time this morning to mess with our hearts. We ask that you would invade our kingdoms, that you would invade our minds and our spaces, and that you would call us to respond in the way in which you want us to. And we trust that your spirit will do that because you said that you would. So, Lord, we give your spirit free reign to convict, uh, to call out of, to call into um, in all the areas of our lives, in all of our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.